It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 325 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, April 30th, or I guess Tuesday, May 1st. You're probably hearing this Tuesday, May 1st. Either way, I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You, of course, can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. You know the spiel by now. Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA channel. Uh, great stuff by all the hosts on all 30 NBA teams. There's Locked On NBA, the daily show with all the different hosts from across the network as well, and David Locke. And uh, yeah, make sure you're checking them out. I've done about 400 podcasts and radio hits today because people love talking about the Raptors when they play the Cavaliers uh, and some other stuff as well. So uh, I'm going to just wrap this intro up. It's myself, it's Chris Manning from Locked On Cavs and Fear the Sword. We did about 45 minutes previewing Raptors Cavs, as many angles as we could come across. Uh, Very excited for the series. We got predictions in there, all this other stuff. Uh, Enjoy the preview. Enjoy the series. We'll be back again with another episode after... Uh, game one, probably from the ACC, so stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, enjoy the series. It's going to be fun. Here's the conversation with myself and Chris Manning teeing up everything you need to know about Raptors Cavs in the second round, the third edition of this series. It's different. I really think it is. And uh, here's why. Here's the conversation with myself and Chris Manning. Hey, how's it going? It's Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors, and I'm joined by Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs. How's it going, man? I'm doing good. Uh, I am ready for, for the series to start. I feel like I, like LeBron, I was a little burnt after Cavs Pacers. Uh, <laughs> that went longer than I think a lot of us expected it to. But here we are, and it's it's a familiar it's a familiar vibe as we get to the second round. It is, and it isn't. Uh, and we'll get to that. Um, I feel different, that's for sure. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that. First, we should probably talk about what happened in the first round a little bit, especially with the Cavs. I mean, the Raptors played the Wizards. The Wizards are the Wizards, and I think the Raptors were the better team for, like, 75% of the play in that series, and I think they were deserved winners. Uh, game four was a bit of a bummer, but other than that, like, it was a pretty handy series win. Hand, handy? I don't know. I always screw up what to use in that term. They, they beat the Wizards handily is what I'm trying to say, and I think that should have been expected, whereas the Cavs taking seven games, all of which were close, if it, except for the blowouts that the, the, the Pacers put up on the Cavs, uh, the Cavs won the series by 40. Like, that was not as, as expected, I think, uh, as maybe the Raptors beating the Wizards pretty easily. How are Cavs fans feeling after, like, that just slog of a series? Like, it wasn't the best basketball in the world. It required LeBron to do insane things, which is really fun to watch. But other than that, the rest of the Cavs were kind of butt. Um, like, what is the Cavs fan mindset after that series is over with the Raptors on the horizon on Tuesday? You know, I, I think there's uh, some anxiety, and I also think there's some there is some optimism at the same time because... The, the, the Game 7 was won in a way that I, th- I think was one of the best possible outcomes you could have gotten in terms of being optimistic about what was to come next. Um, in that game, Kevin Love had a really big second half, hit some threes, and kind of looked more comfortable than he had most of that series after being pretty bad. 
George Hill, after not playing in the first half, played a really good 19 minutes uh, coming back from that back injury that he dealt with all series and was and really changed the flow of the Cavs' offense. It took some time, uh, took some of that burden off LeBron James to do everything. You got really good minutes out of Tristan Thompson. J.R. Smith had a pretty good series overall. And, and there are so, I think there are some concerns when you look down the roster. It's it's not a mistake to, to look at this team and say, well, it's the guys from the 2016 title team and Kyle Korver and then George Hill, who's the, the Cav that everyone expected to be the, the best player out of that, at least immediately from that traded line in Bonanza. It, it's the guys you sort of expect to play well, and they did really get good minutes out of George Clarkson except for one game. Rodney Hood was, was non-existent. Uh, Larry Nance was, was a little bit up and down. I think, but I think at the same time they they got out of that series, they won it, and the series the series ended with contributions from non-LeBron people. And I think going into the second round, um, you could talk yourself into it being good. But I think there I, I think there is fair concern about what this Cavs team actually is, and I think there's also just you we don't really know what to expect just because as a as a group of people watching a team, and I think the people covering the team feel this as well, maybe with some more insider information, but. It's hard to know all the time what is exactly going to happen and and what kind of adjustments are going to be made. And sometimes it just feels very aimless, but also at the same time, like you have LeBron, and that's that's sort of the direction. You just lean on that guy and see where he takes you. <laughs> it's not a bad strategy. Um, yeah, it's. I have a hard time reading what happened to the Cavs in the first round because, like, uh, uh, on one hand, the the role players struggled, and maybe that's indicative of just like them not being quite as good as they have been in the past. And you know, Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, like those dudes combined for what one point in Game Seven. Like those guys haven't really been the saviors that they were kind of built to be when those trades were made. And you see how that series played out, where LeBron pretty much had to do everything himself, and he did it because he's LeBron and he's amazing. But like. I think against the better team, which, you know, as well as the Pacers played and as, as much respect as they deserve, I think there's no doubt that the Raptors are a better team than what the uh, the Pacers are, and they proved it over the course of the season. Um, I, I think, you know, the, without the role players stepping up and with the, if the role players play the way they did in the first round, I think the Raptors should win this series pretty easily, you know, to, to be honest. But at the same time, you're waiting for the regression to come and you're waiting for these guys to get hot. And Kevin Love... Hasn't looked right the entire playoffs, but that dude usually owns the Raptors. And, you know, there are certain lineups the Cavs can go to where they go super small uh, and, you know, have a bunch of shooters on the court around LeBron, and that ends up usually torching the Raptors as well. So I have a hard time, like, the the blueprint has always been there for how the Cavs are going to beat the Raptors. I just, I worry for the Cavs that they're not going to quite have the ability to execute it, but it's really hard to, like, it feels dirty to count out LeBron. It feels gross. It feels wrong to say, oh, yeah, like, LeBron's not going to win this series on his own because, like, he's proven it time and time again. That's exactly what he can do, and that's the reason he's won the Eastern Conference seven years in a row, and, uh, you know, it's a very good chance he's going to do it eight times, but I do think the Raptors have as good a chance, maybe better chance than anyone in the last eight years to knock off the Ra- the Cavs, considering the context of where the Cavs are as a team um, and sort of just the Raptors' statistical profile over the year. Like, they're a really good team, and I think, you know, they proved it in the first round that they can kind of translate their regular season changes and philosophy change to the playoffs, and, you know, we'll, we'll see against the Cavs if, they, if that, that's going to be the ultimate test of it, but... I don't know. What's your read on like the Raptors as an opponent compared to like some of the other opponents that the Cavs have come across in, in recent years? This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. 
but I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life, homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Well, you know, I'll say this coming out of the first round as well. Um, I, I wondered, I, and I don't, there's no way to know this, but I, I wondered if a team that had a guy that could battle LeBron a little bit better but play, had the, the, the dearth of talent Indiana did um, and the and the, just the, the deepness of that team, it would, would have like been able to knock the Cavs off just by tipping it just because of how vulnerable they seemed. I don't know. But I, I, th- I feel that this Toronto team... Is the best has the best chance of beating like uh, the Cavs that they've had in the in the three times they matched up, mm-hmm. and I feel as if the first year we know we know from LeBron's comments and from everything about that series that the Cavs were not really threatened in that in that series the year they won the title um, last year I think you know there, there it wasn't maybe quite as disrespectful on the Cavs' part but I don't I don't and I don't think they particularly view Toronto as a threat I think this year you know seeing the competitive regular season games seeing um, you know, Toronto's playing the different style is deeper. They they are coming in on a rest. The Cavs have had that advantage the past couple of years where they've had that that rest coming into the second round. The Toronto has that advantage this year. I think the Cavs know this is going to be a test. I think um, they they maybe don't view it as uh, the the biggest test in the world because I think they still view they they know what looms for them if they get past this and then get to get back to where they want to be. LeBron I think knows that's the the ultimate. But I think if you're looking at a team that is equipped to beat LeBron. I think you're right in saying this is the best equipped team, at least in, for me, since LeBron came back to Cleveland. Um, no disrespect to the 61 Hawks, who I who I love. Uh, no disrespect to some of the other teams that they face, but I think this is the this is if I was like gonna feel confident picking against him, I feel as if this would be the this would be the series that I would feel good about doing it. To to an extent, you can feel good about picking against LeBron. I think everything about this Toronto team. Just feels like sort of the the way to beat him in the East this year when you don't when you're unless you're uh, at least in terms of how Toronto has built their team. At the same time, it's it's still LeBron, and it just it's a very anxious thing to to wonder what it takes to beat him and what it actually is going to take to beat him in the East because we we sort of know what it takes to beat him in the finals and to beat him handily in the finals. It takes a team like Golden State. Yeah. Um, it takes a team like the Spurs. And have what, the what, best what, team what, ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, with in a in a crazy season or in, in the the emergence of a guy like Kawhi. So what what does that look like in the East? Is just something we we don't really know the answer of, at least in the modern, most recent context of LeBron's career. Yeah, I do think one thing that I think is probably you know it's something that's hard to really measure. You can't quantify it, but the way the Raptors have been talking the last couple of days about this series. Again, it feels different, and I think, again, I have I'm having such a hard time like making a prediction for this series. I'm going back and forth. I think I've settled on Raptors in six, but I don't really know, and we'll get to some of the reasons why in this in a sec. But to keep you know on the feelings aspect of things, like 
The Raptors have been talking very differently than they used to about LeBron and the Cavs as, as a whole. Like, I mean, they've been very deferential to LeBron in the past and saying, like, yeah, he's amazing. We're not going to be able to stop him. Like, yeah, let's hope we can do it, I guess. Uh, you know, Luis Scola, I believe Bruce Arthur revealed this story once on a Low Post podcast about how Luis Scola, uh, before Game 6 of the Conference Finals a couple years ago, was like, yeah, this is going to be tough. We're probably losing this game. Uh, just kind of resigned to the fact that they were going to lose. And I don't think they're resigned to that at this time around. I, I think DeMar and Kyle have not been going about, like, deferring to LeBron as some sort of godlike figure. Fred Van Vliet just gives no shits. <laughs> he does not care. Uh, same with OG Ananobi. Like, some of these guys are just too dumb and too new to care. Not dumb, but, like, they just, like, they, they've never been here before or never been, well, okay, like... okay, OG, though. I saw that OG comment about the, the, the LeBron being strong and he's strong. Yeah. Look, I, like, love OJ Newby. He's been awesome. <laughs> he needs to, like, call Stanley Johnson and call Jalen Brown and, like, ask them what it was like to, like, say that he could maybe guard LeBron or match LeBron in strength and, like, how that goes for Yeah, him. here's the thing like, with OG is that he does not, like... If you sort of watch, you'll see in this series, if he has any podium games or, or availabilities and stuff, like, I definitely don't think what he was saying there was any sort of, sort of direct, like, oh, yeah, I can, like, he's just saying, he just does not care about anything, and none of his things are a reference to anything. He's just talking, like, the shortest possible answer he can give, so that maybe gets taken out of context a little bit. Um, he, yeah, he's just, he's very unperturbed by anything, and I don't think he's, like, going out there, like, trying to talk mess to LeBron. Uh, that would be the last thing I would expect him to do. Um, I just think he'll go out there, be quiet, and, and be OG Ananobi, which is a, a very useful, and he was awesome in the first round. I'm not sure how much of, I, I didn't really see as much of the Cavs-Pacers series as I wanted, because they played on all the same nights, uh, it seemed like. But, you know, if you kind of were dealing with the same issue, OG Ananobi was amazing for the Raptors. His cutting was outstanding. His defense was really good. He was hitting his threes confidently, uh, taking threes confidently, which is just important as making them within the Raptors' offense. So, um, I, I, yeah, maybe that could be sort of misconstrued as some sort of like shot against LeBron or calling him out. I don't think that is. I think it's just OG being uh, uncaring and chill OG, uh, the most chill dude in the world. But, yeah, no, I, just to get to my original point, like I don't think the Raptors are scared, and I think – to beat LeBron, you can't be scared because LeBron senses that. And, again, this is all stuff that you can't really quantify. But, like, it was very obvious the last couple of seasons that the Raptors did not believe they could beat him. And that manifested itself on the court. And I think this time around, they believe they can do it. And I think, you know, taking lessons from the Pacers, who I think also kind of believe they could do it, uh, I, I do think it's going to be a different sort of tenor to the series this time around. What would you say, if you're looking at Toronto and, and what they bring to the table, What what is their advantage, their biggest advantage in your mind over the Cavs? Like, I, I mean, I think I, I have a couple ideas of things that I think I will tilt the series in, in a micro sense. Um, OG actually factors into it because depending on what the Cavs do, him and Korver could be, like, guarding cross-match each other to some degree, and that's going to be a really weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, what would you say if you're saying Toronto has this advantage over the Cavs? What do you think it is? I think you could easily go to the depth, which I think the Raptors have as an advantage over pretty much any team. And we saw when Fred Van Vliet came back in Game 6 against the Wizards just how devastating that bench unit can be. And we saw even, you know, this was before the Cavs made the trades, um, but, like, the second unit was really good against the Cavs this year as well. Fred Van Vliet was lights out against Cleveland in the regular season. 
especially in that first game where the second unit blew the game open. Um, and I think, you know, that that's going to be a, a key sort of factor in these games. You know, whatever LeBron sits, forever, however many few minutes he sits, that second unit's probably going to be out there for those stretches. Um, and, and that is a lineup that has just taken it to lineups with all bench guys, some starters, a couple starters. You know, they, they've been good against pretty much everyone this year because their defense kind of travels against any lineup. Uh, and their offense is just pretty much based off of transition opportunities, which is devastating when they get out in the open court. Um, so you could point to that. I think it's probably guard play, though. Um, you know, George Hill is really good, and 2016, when he was with the Pacers, there's still some demons and sort of ghosts from George Hill that kind of haunt the ACC from back then because he was really good and did a great job against Kyle Lowry. But I do think Kyle is healthier and more spry than he's ever been in the playoffs. I think he, you know, his first round was excellent. He shot like 62% true shooting and you know, 17, 8, and 5, played excellent defense, bunch of steals, like two steals a game. He was uh, very much good Kyle Lowry and, and kind of the antithesis of what people come to expect from him in the playoffs when he's been kind of beaten up in the past. Um, and DeMar DeRozan was really good as well. He had a couple bad shooting games, but other than that, like he facilitated really nicely. He took what the Wizards were giving him offensively and was just like, all right, like you're going to dare me to beat you. I'm going to beat you. And he had multiple 30-point games in the series where he just kind of went off. Um, and I just think as good as you know George Hill can be, I'm not sure the guard play is going to be able to match up for the Cavs, both defensively and offensively. I think a lot of, um, you know, the Cavs guards are, are very much specialists. Uh, you know, George Hill can handle the ball a little bit, but his handle is not amazing. Um, and I think he's probably going to be asked to just kind of spot up most of the time in this series, you would think. And like Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, I mean, Smith was so good at, def- at defense in the last round, but his shot's been wayward. Kyle Korver is not a good defender. Um, I think that's going to be an area where the Raptors can kind of exploit, and, and that that's to me the biggest advantage but I also think like there's other ones across the board too I think just the the depth of bigs and sort of the versatility with bigs I think is going to be big if the Raptors want to sort of dictate the game and play huge I I think there are circumstances where Jonas Valanciunas should be out there and should be able to sort of dominate the play Um, if they want to go small they can I think they have more versatility than the Cavs do where they're pretty much stuck with either sort of a you know a a rim running center like uh, Nance or Thompson or Kevin Love at the five which comes with with its own trade-offs so there are a few advantages obviously there's some advantages that the Cavs have and most of of them are tied up in LeBron but uh, I would say guard play for me is number one Um, but what about you like is there something else you're seeing that you think the Raptors have an edge in? I think depth is the big one, and I and I think that to me will decide the series in a lot of ways because Toronto, as, as you mentioned, especially with Van Vliet back after the after he was you know hurt uh, got hurt in the last regular season game right and then missed a bunch of the of the Wizard series. He leading that second unit and with the second unit that has been so productive this year that that has been the like the best unit uh, bench unit in the league this year. That's something the Cavs have not quite figured out. Um, it was a big deal for them in Game 7 when LeBron had to go back to the locker room and then reset himself and, and get back into the flow for them to, to extend that lead a little bit when he was out. And for Kevin, like he, he said post game straight up that Kevin Love hit this three with like nine or something minutes to go when he came back out. He was going to check in right about when this happened and when he came back to the court. And that three prompted Tyloo to let him sit for a little bit longer. Yeah. Can the Cavs have moments like that in the first half or the fourth quarter or whenever that allows LeBron to gear up? Um, I, I am not super concerned about the 
the guard play with Kyle is not something I'm particularly worried about because I think there's things the Cavs are going to try to do to get him in, in, in some bad situations defensively. Um, one thing I would watch that they did at the end of the Pacers game that Jeff Siegel wrote a really good piece at, at Fear the Sword uh, on, on Monday, April 30th. At the end of the game when Hill came back, they ran this pick and roll to the left side a lot to get to to force a switch mm-hmm. um, with with Hill and with Hill and LeBron a one through pick and roll with shooters surrounding them. But Cavs are going to try to hunt that Kyle uh, Lowry on LeBron switch, and and the Kyle's a great defender. He's really strong. He's screwed if, if oh, yeah. LeBron's back came back down on the post, and that's like something that could get him out of rhythm, wear down on him a little bit. That's something I'd expect to see the Cavs try to hunt down a bunch. And I know you could speak to more than how much Toronto's going to switch, but that's something the Cavs are going to try to get. Um, Damar is sort of the interesting question for me for, in terms of guard play because J.R. Smith has done a good job the last couple of years of defending him. How else the Cavs decide to defend him is going to be very interesting because in, in the Pacers series that they went with, J.R. Smith and Jeff Green as the primary Oladipo defenders. LeBron took it at certain instances and, and was comfortable switching on him. Um, you know, does Toronto, like you mentioned, try to hunt Corver down? And I think Corver, they're going to try to hide Corver on someone like OG, mm-hmm. um, especially if they play love at the five against Jonas to, to maximize the offensive potential of the team. How they defend Demar is to me more. I, I think Hill's going to be on Lowry, and I think their minutes, if if Hill's back is good, should be pretty even, um, and should match each other to a large degree, frankly, because I'm I'm very concerned about Jordan Clarkson's role in this series, but. Um, I, I think DeMar is sort of how the Cavs approach him, and if they can keep JR out of foul trouble, if if Jeff Green can can be uh, contribute enough with also not getting in foul trouble, or LeBron can maybe pick it up at times, that's going to be, uh, I think, almost more troublesome for the Cavs than, than saying, okay, George Hill can defend Lyra, because it's not like the Pacers series where I would feel where Hill was good enough and, and has the right size to go up against, um, against Oladipo. Demar's huge for it too, and mm-hmm. it just seems like George Hill defending him is just not really like a viable option, at least in my opinion. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yeah, I think there's a... But my biggest question about what the Cavs are going to do defensively is whether or not they're going to trap the way they have in the past against the Raptors ball handlers because that's been their go-to sort of MO the last couple playoff series. And I don't think that's going to work this time around because... The Raptors are just better at dealing with that. Jonas Valanciunas is a better playmaker in the short role. You know, OG has been more confident shooting threes than Damari Carroll ever was and sort of has more confident off the off the dribble chops than, than Carroll did. Uh, even Serge Ibaka, he's not a great playmaker, but he's made a few passes here and there. There were a couple games in the, in the Wizards series where he was just finding guys in the corner and... They, they've been able to sort of pick apart those four-on-three situations that the trapping creates pretty easily, and the Wizards had to go away from it within like a game and a half, and they never went really went back to it. They just, they just pretty much went straight up. They switched. And yeah, I think that's probably going to be the way they have to go against the Raptors, where you know I, I wonder if they'll start by trapping just because that's what they've done against the Raptors in the past, and that's because that that's what they did against the, the Pacers for most of that series, and with like very little downtime, I wonder if they just stick with that. Um, but I think the Raptors are going to pick that apart. They, they've proven this season. This entire season was built around being able to work through those traps, which was sort of their kryptonite in years past, and that's not the case anymore. So I'm curious to see how they do that. If the switching does happen, 
I uh, I am fascinated to see how the Raptors sort of attack, but I do think, like, I can't imagine LeBron is especially considering like him admitting that he's exhausted. I can't imagine he's gonna try to expend that much energy guarding, say, Demar. I, I really don't see that happening. Um, and I, I think Jonas Valanciunas has been such a good pick and roll threat that if you bring him up, set some screens, like his screening is amazing. And I think the Raptors have scored something like 1.3 or 1.4 points per uh, possession in with Jonas Valanciunas pick and rolls with either Kyle or Demar. Like they've been just the lights out in those situations. Um, so I wonder if maybe that's a way to mitigate the the switching that you're going to see um, and sort of the on ball def- defense that maybe you know J.R. Smith can provide. I'm not exactly sure. Um, because if there's a problem with the Raptors' offense, I think it's Kyle and DeMar not being super explosive and able to attack guys one-on-one. There were some issues in the Wizards series uh, where they weren't exactly able to do that in ISO situations. But the nice thing about the Raptors is that they don't really ISO anymore, and they found ways to work around those situations and having to ISO you know, 50 times a game or whatever it was uh, in the most egregious of playoff games where they've had in the past. So I think there are ways around it. On the other end, yeah, like the Le- the LeBron defense is the concern for this series, and OG is going to have to do a superhuman job. Uh, Pascal Siakam is probably going to get a lot of run, and if they're hunting switches against Kyle Lowry, that is going to be bad because Kyle will probably pick up fouls. That's not something you want. Um, and Kyle is an excellent post defender, but not against six foot eight, you know, superhumans. Like that's just not a thing that you would expect him to be good at. Um, so I am kind of concerned about how they're going to defend LeBron, but hey, that's a concern that comes with every single series against LeBron James, uh, so that's nothing new, um, and I'm not sure the Pacers have like great options to throw at him either, and they still kind of almost willed their way to a series victory because the role guys weren't particularly good, and LeBron had to do everything, so um, I-, I do wonder how much they'll play, like... You know, in the past, I think the Raptors have tried to just play LeBron honest and go one-on-one, not send extra help, and sort of ignite those just terrifying swings of the ball to the corner. Um, I wonder if maybe they'll play with that a little bit more just because the role guys have been so inconsistent so far. You know, maybe that is asking for for just terrible things to happen, but considering how poorly Kevin Love shot in the first round. Outside of Kyle Korver, not really anyone had an amazing shooting series, so I wonder if maybe they'll try to dare the Cavs to do that a little bit more. Obviously, they're going to have to do both. They're going to have to sort of go back and forth, throw different looks. Um, and, like, defending LeBron is, like, the unsolvable riddle that only the best teams ever have been able to figure out. So I don't think the Raptors have, like, an obvious answer for it. But um, I don't know. Are, is it, Does anyone on the Raptors concern you as a guy who could potentially slow down LeBron? Because it's like, I, I don't know. I can't see it. But is there someone that you look at as being a potential option? I, I was impressed with how Siakam at least tried to do it um, when when the students played in the regular season, but I, I don't think so because I think if if the regular season holds true, they're going to go from um, OG to to Pascal Siakam to CJ Miles. Yeah, Miles will will be bad. <laughs> which is yeah, which is just not great. Um, I, it'll be interesting because like you, I think you're I think you are very right to assume that the the. The, the Raptors could potentially play into the idea that the Cavs will LeBron will feed other guys like Jr. Like Jr. Smith shooting six threes is if and you, if he hits five of them and he has a really good night you live with that because he might have an 0-6 night the next night. Mm-hmm. Um, Corver is going to be a little more dependable. I think I think he he had to he caught fire even if he didn't have like games where he struggled to start off he had pretty hit like a three pretty much every game. Love is sort of the, the X factor in that because I think he, if he's playing the five or he's playing the four, I think he should have a good offensive series. Um, defensively, I think he's going to have 
you know, some issues in his hand, his non-shooting hand is hurt. He, there's a there's a thumb injury there, or a finger injury, so it's a little concerning. To, to I think I really do think that's affecting his shot more than he's leading on. Um, but I think he's if he's good and he's kind of healthy enough, I think he should have a good series. But I think defensively, he's going to get worn out a little bit. Um, this is sort of where like the problem for me with this Cavs team kind of comes whole because if if you're talking about needing some supplemental scoring. And particularly create ball like a, a shot creation. Hill's going to do an okay job at out of the pick and roll, um, but he's not going to attack ISO a lot. Clarkson, if Clarkson was just better, it would matter. If Rodney Hood could to do what he did in, at points in Utah and did a little bit in the regular season, that would go a long way to to helping LeBron and taking some of the burden off. Because I even even if teams know they need to stick with LeBron, we saw in the Pacers series that. There, there are instances where they would still leave LeBron to look the other way. You could even when Bojan Bogdanovic was on him in, in game in game seven, LeBron, there's a cut where LeBron cut back to Warren Bogdanovic because Bogdanovic was just staring at Kyle Korver because they knew they had to pay attention to Korver. That little instance is all you really LeBron really needs. Mm-hmm. So can they find moments where like that where that happens where, where maybe Kevin Love hits him with a, a whip pass across the court maybe. Um, you know, Jr. finds him with the, with the right read because he's cutting, and that maybe opens things up. But uh, Toronto should, I I think, just make LeBron pass to those guys first before adjusting their defense at all, and then going in instinctually. But I, I a lot of it is going to be on what the Cavs get from non-LeBron people. Um, whereas you know, as you talked about, the Toronto's going to get um, a lot of what they do. The one thing I'll say that if if anyone goes back and watches the Pacers series um, or watches bits of it. What Indiana did, which I thought was pretty smart, was they didn't have they didn't have a good LeBron defender either. Yeah. Um, Bogdanovich is like was really good in that series, and I came away like appreciating his game a lot more. He's not equipped to handle LeBron, so what he did was he basically just like pushed him and and um, made contact with him. It was very physical with him and made him work for the position that he was going to get. And yes, he picked up fouls, but he because when when Le, when you when you are making that much of an effort to battle somebody. And you're the and you're still bouncing off of them. Mm-hmm. It they're not you're not going to get the foul call. Like you're not going to get pick up tacky fouls. And maybe the right ref makes that a bad strategy. Um, he got in foul trouble in game seven, but a lot of the series he and other guys that got stuck on LeBron inside, where LeBron did a lot of really good work, made it work and made him work by just being physical because you know you're probably going to get a little bit of leeway when when guys because LeBron just doesn't always get those calls just because it doesn't look like he's getting fouled even if he might be yeah another thing too like when we talk about sort of this series and like LeBron's role in the offense like the way we talk about it is as if like LeBron's gonna be running every single possession as an ISO and like maybe he will (laughs) maybe he'll want to take it to OG every possession but that's just not how it works like they have to spread it around there will be other possessions for other guys um but like I do wonder if they sort of dare LeBron to beat them. Like, how worried are you about him being tired? Because he talked about it after the last game. His minutes total, minutes total has been insane. He played all 82 games for the first time in his career. Um, and, like, we all know that LeBron to be this cyborg. But, like, I don't know. Is there something to the idea that he's just tired and maybe will want to take possessions off, particularly on defense, which he did a lot during the regular season and in the Pacers series? Um, like, how much of a concern is LeBron's fatigue level to you? I mean, I think it's a, it's always a concern because he didn't take a game off this year. Um, yeah. 
you know, he he did he does do a lot, but I think that's just that that again emphasizes the the point of like he could take an offensive possession off if George Hill can do a little bit more. Yeah. Um, if he can be aggressive, if Kevin Love can can settle into a rhythm in this series, that would go a long way to getting some LeBron some time off. It's one of the big reasons why I think one of the biggest factors of the series is the Cavs didn't get extra time off for the series. They um, played Sunday. They get they traveled to Toronto. I think on 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 Monday. And then they play Tuesday, and then there's not um, the rest of the series more than a day off for them, at least through Game Four. So mm. that in itself is something where they they have to be cognizant of that, that LeBron is going to have some energy. But at the same time, like I I don't I I'm not worried about him being exhausted because we haven't seen it it affect his play in a way that it's just like he can't do anymore. It's not like we've seen the the the, the Heat series from a couple of years ago where he just was was drained um we haven't got there yet but it's it's if this could become more of a problem throughout the series if kevin love doesn't settle into rhythm if if some of the guys that played well you know in round one that that they're kind of counting on now tristan thompson you know coming off the game seven performance being an example if they can't get good minutes out of those guys moving forward and lebron has to go back to doing a lot more then i think this becomes a more of a problem over the course of the series and he just it, it just might be the case of LeBron is not enough to overcome like a really deep team when he doesn't have just enough helping him around him. Fair enough. Uh, one of the things that I'm fascinated by is uh, what the hell are the Cavs going to do with their starting five? Because they seem to change it up every game. Um, and that some of that is to do with health and not having guys available. But Tristan Thompson starts game seven. It seemed to work pretty well. But in theory, Tristan Thompson being on the court is kind of a win for the Raptors because that means they can play Jonas, and Jonas has been just so good so far in these playoffs and was really good all season. Like He, he made some significant strides that I think are going to keep him on the floor a lot longer than maybe he was last year and year, years previous against the Cavs where he just couldn't be out there as the likes of Channing Fryer raining threes on his head because he couldn't defend the pick and roll or the pick and pop properly. Um, not having Channing Fry is, I think, a huge X factor here for the Cavs because that's like six threes a game uh, that you're missing against the Raptors. I joke sort of. Um, but what do you think is the starting five for the Cavs in game one and do you think it changes over the course of the series? I think there's a very good chance it changes over the course of the series because Ty Lue did tinker in between games a good amount. Um, I mean he, he, we went from Jeff Green being a permanent playoff starter to just like being an 11 minute a game guy or whatever. Yeah. I, I think you're going to see George Hill, J.R. Smith, LeBron, Corver, and Love. As like the game one starting five? Yeah, and I think the way that works is Hill will Hill will defend Lowry, J.R. will defend DeRozan, they're going to put Kyle on OG, LeBron will defend Ibaka, and Love will get Valanciunas. Which That's seems I, like a mismatch. On at least, like the I offensive think, well, end for for Jonas, prob- like, yeah. I think it's a problem for both teams. Yeah, at, the, at center because like Love's gonna pull Valanciunas way out of the paint, um, and then Love's gonna have a size advantage. We saw this in the regular season a- as an issue. Love had Love had some real defensive problems against both Valanciunas and Jakob Pertl, mm-hmm. um in the regular season in those two last regular season games. I. But I, you know, I just don't know. I, I don't expect Ty Lue to say what he's going to do until his pregame press conference, if then. We found out 
I found out, I should say, because I I was up in the arena and someone from Cavs Media Relations may have said this to the, some of the guys that, that hung downstairs before this for Game 7 and were downstairs in the media room. But I found out that Tristan Thompson was starting by looking up at the Jumbotron at the queue and seeing that number 13 <laughs> was on there. He, yeah. he didn't say at his pregame presser what the starting lineup was going to be. He's a guy that plays these things very close to the chest. Um, so you we, we could find out on... On Tuesday at, you know, it's an 8 p.m. Eastern game, so that would be what five? What time of the media? Six fifteen? Would ties media would be ties? Uh, well, six thirty probably. Yeah, hour and a half like for the visiting coach. Yeah, he you'll, you'll find out then at the earliest. I think. Um, I don't you know depending on if they shoot around or not, but I would expect to find out then. But it could change, right? If Kevin Love starts at center in game one and gets abused by Jonas, and it's just it's not worth the offensive bonus you're getting. Maybe you see Tristan in game two, or maybe you see it at halftime or something. But I don't know. Um, if you're if you're Toronto, which of those start? Which of the the possible starting lineups? And with my in my two likeliest being either Corver or Tristan as the fifth starter with Love, Jr., LeBron, and Hill. Which of those do you think is the is the most dangerous for Toronto? Which one do you think would cause Toronto the most problems? So I think the the Love at five one would cause them the most problems just because of what you mentioned, like Love drawing out. Uh, you know, Valanciunas, that's not great. And also, like, I'm not sure who Ibaka really guards in that configuration either, right? Like, he's probably stuck trying to, I don't know, like, drift out to Korver or something like that. But the thing is that with this Raptors roster, they can kind of bend to, you know, whatever teams are throwing at them, which, you know, in the past, the Raptors just didn't have counters to what the Cavs threw out. Because, I mean, if you remember in the past, like, the Raptors played, I think at one point for, like, a pretty significant run. They were like, all right, well, let's try Bismack, Biombo, and Jonas together. Um, and it was like, yeah, this is like the, the breaking break glass in case of emergency type of lineup that they're throwing out there. Like, this time around, they have a lot more versatility. So I think if Love with, like, the super small lineup becomes the starting five, I think you could see, you know, maybe they start Surge at five, have OG play the four, and then maybe throw at Miles or, or have Pascal play the, the four and then and OG at the three, something like that. Um, and just go all offense, I think that could potentially work for them. Um, you know, obviously trying to keep as many guys on the floor who can guard LeBron, you know, capably on switches and stuff is ideal. And if you have both Siakam and OG out there, that is like maybe kind of a, a nice thing to have. Um, and like the Raptors didn't use the Siakam Ibaka front court all that much in the regular season, and especially not against the Cavs. I don't think they busted it out at all, even in the close games. Because I'm pretty sure that's something they're saving, and that's something that's going to be useful against the Cavs. I mean, you know, Siakam's not a good shooter, so that could end up getting him sort of exposed. But at the same time, he's got a little bit of off-the-dribble chops. He's got this little weird back-down thing where he'll, you know, kind of drive and then back down and put up like a 10-foot push shot that's been a pretty good shot for him. Aside from during the Wizards series, which that shot kind of uh, was a little wayward to the last game of the series. But, you know, for the most part, he's hit that shot at like 60% this season. Um, So he's got a few tricks in the bag if the Cavs are going to play off of him and I do think having him out there for you know the way he runs the floor and his energy and just sort of being a super athletic guy for the very old people on the Cavs to try to keep up with I think there's something to that um and so I think if that is the lineup the Cavs go with the Raptors can kind of counter with something that should be able to score with them and I don't think the Cavs can defend anything in that lineup I really don't um, and I think the Raptors will kind of score pretty much at will, especially if Ibaka can kind of regain his, his form from early in the Wizards series. Um, you know, early in that series, the Wizards were kind of giving him shots and, and sort of selling out to stop Kyle and DeMar. 
Later in the series, they were really playing close on both Ibaka and CJ Miles, and they weren't getting a ton of looks. And Ibaka just didn't play particularly well, but I think, you know, there should be some sort of bounce back from him after a rough close to that series. And if he's playing the five, he's usually more effective there anyway. Um, so that could be a way to counter it. Although Love should still probably bully Surge a little bit there in terms of being able to pull him out because Surge, you want to have near the rim if you can. Obviously, he's the best rim protector on the team um, outside of Pirtle, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's it, there's obviously trade-offs in everything in a playoff series, right? But I, I think... Ideally, you'd like to see the Cavs play Tristan Thompson because that means Jonas can be out there and kind of bully him, and I think that's a, a very much of an advantage for the Raptors, a Valanciunas versus Thompson matchup. And if they have to go small, um, you know, I, I think they'll try to keep Jonas out there against Love. You know, originally, I, I think they'll, they'll 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 give it a shot to see if they can work that for an advantage from from Jonas's offense because I think he'll get kind of get whatever he wants on the roll. Um, but like, yeah, the defensive issues are concerned, and again, this comes back to. If Love's going to miss his shots, maybe you live with that and you just sort of dare him to make shots. It, it seems dangerous to dare Kevin Love to make shots, but the way he's played so far in, the, in these in this playoffs, maybe that's the best way to go. Um, and maybe you can kind of you know steal some minutes with Jonas on the floor against him like that. Uh, there are no easy trade-offs, but I, I do think because of the sort of all-or-nothing approach of some of these Cavs lineups where if they play Love at the 5, there's no defense. If they play Thompson at the 5 or they have some of their better defenders out there like JR, his shot's been kind of wayward. Like I think there are ways in which the Raptors can exploit every lineup the Cavs have out there, which is something I just don't think you could say of Raptors teams in the past. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I think, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Cavs walk that line um, because they, they are, they, they do seem to have just the, like with LeBron being the eraser, like just just more things to kind of worry about. Um, what do you have? Do you have like a feel of like what would surprise you of like a length of the series? We should we should probably think about like predictions here. Yeah. But like I mean, I mean I, I I'm expecting like a, a weird kind of long series with like maybe a blowout win on both sides. Like it wouldn't shock me if the Raptors win game one by 15 and then the Cavs like win game two by like 12 or something like that. That would not surprise me. Yeah, the only thing that would shock me, I think, is a sweep either way. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Even a five-game series either way, I don't really think that's that's all that likely unless, like, LeBron becomes checked out and the Raptors can steal one in five and LeBron's in 2010 mode. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, I, I really do think it's, uh, it's going to be a long series, six or seven. Um, I have gone back and forth. I think it's going to be Raptors in six, I guess, if I have a prediction to make. But... Um, I don't feel great about it, and a lot of that is, you know, hinged on me not wanting to pick a game, a, a, like the Raptors to win a game seven against LeBron, um, because that's a horrifying pro- proposition. At the same time, like every bit of data from this season, aside from not having LeBron James on the team, says that the Raptors are the better team, and I think that should sort of bear out over the course of a series. Um, and I think the way that they can exploit some of the Cavs' weaknesses, you know, as much as the Cavs will be able to throw stuff at the Raptors, I think. More so than any time in the past, the Raptors have the ability to sort of throw something back and maybe even sort of force the Cavs to play towards what the Raptors want to do. I think, you know, the bench unit in particular, that's going to be fascinating to see how they try to push the pace because we saw against the the, the, the the Pacers, like, the Cavs are trying to play slow, and LeBron wants to play slow at this point. It's very much like the 2015 finals at this point where he's just trying to bring every possession to a halt and make sure he's sort of controlling and dictating the pace of the game. 
But the Raptors bench and, you know, the Kyle Lowry-led units like to run as well, and they have no problem pushing the pace. And if they can kind of get the, 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 the old Cavs running, I think that is going to be an advantage for the Raptors as well. So there's lots of trade-offs. There's lots of back and forths. I think Raptors in six is, like, my most likely outcome, but I could see Cavs in seven. I could see Raptors in seven. I could see Cavs uh, in six. Like, it's... The, the, all those, I think, are on the table very much so. I don't think we're in for a short series, though, because I think these are two pretty closely matched teams. I agree. I think Raptors in six or Cavs in seven, or, or early Raptors in seven or Cavs in seven is where I come down on this. I, right now, am leaning Cavs in seven uh, just because I think LeBron ends up being enough, but I don't do... Like you said, I do not feel good about that. Um, I don't think I'm going to feel good about the, the, the result of this series until we really get to the end of it, just because I, I think you're going to see a lot of, of, of flipping. Um, I think unless I think like the if I if I was going to say one team was going to just unexpectedly dominate the series, I actually kind of think Toronto is just better equipped to, to do that and handle the Cavs to some degree. But mm. um, I don't I don't think that's very likely. But I'm just, if I think if one team's capable of it, it's just to me because they're so cohesive, it seems like they'd be likely. But it's LeBron, um, and it's not and like no shade to Kyle and Zamar, but it, this isn't. Draymond and Clay and Steph and, and and KD like it's it's a it'd be very different to see them do that versus the Warriors do it or something which we would expect if the Cavs get to the finals somehow but I I don't know I I'm very curious about this this is the the most intrigued I've been in this series over the last couple of years I think Toronto obviously has, has been very good the last couple of years but with everything happening with the Cavs with how good they've been this year with the depth they have I this to me is the most interesting Cavs Raptors series out of the three that we're going to see. This is the best series of the second round. I don't think it's close. Like, I think it's just, like, a really fascinating matchup series. Um, and, you know, just both teams being healthy is nice. <laughs> like, I mean, like, like it's the most competitive. Yeah. And it's the most at stake. Like, if the Cavs lose, like, it's not uh, it's not a great selling point. Yeah. If you're the Raptors and you lose, it's like, like, are we ever going to do this? I think um, the Raptors ever, lose. Like, I, yeah, the Raptors lose, I think it's fine. I think the first round win kind of justified running it back and like they're kind of locked into the team next year anyway so I don't think it changes yeah. much but if they win yeah. the whole era of the Raptors kind of gets viewed differently I think and that yeah. is big that's a, that's a nice high stake to be playing for yeah and it puts you in a very good position to to get a finals appearance yeah. uh, either team who wins this should like be in a good position to get there um I mean, just because like there's a like if somehow Boston beats Philly, like that that's a like I think both these teams should be pretty heavily favored against the Celtics, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how well they're coached. Um, but I I think there's just a lot on the line, and there's going to be a lot of tension. Um, I don't you know these teams don't hate each other by any means, but I don't, I don't think there's like you know it's not like they're like they're 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 tight or anybody that's just imagine it. It's it's going to be a good series, and I I am very I'm like as much as I think the Cavs getting the um, number four seed was not good for them. I think this this was this was this is the most interesting path for them. Is is going to have to play Toronto now instead of in the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, and like the Raptors kind of got screwed with the the way the bracket set up, but like the the redemptive qualities of going through the Wizards than the Cavs uh, is pretty much the the peak you could ask for as a Raptors fan if you're looking to exercise all of the demons. And even if they get to the Sixers in the next round, 2001 baby, wash that away. So. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it should be a really good series. I'm sure we'll talk again during the series. I would guess, yes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, we're going to talk again during the series. All right. Uh, we should wrap this thing up, though. We've gone pretty long. Uh, everyone, enjoy this series. It's going to be really fun. Uh, I'll be doing coverage for Raptors HQ, Locked on Raptors, of course, as well. Uh, we'll be going on throughout this entire thing. And uh, I got a new podcast for the uh, Raptors HQ website as well. The headquarters is going to go up uh, for Tuesday morning as well. So make sure you're checking that out. And follow me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. Yeah, fearthesword.com, your your SB Nation home for all your Cavs coverage and Lockdown Cavs every day as well, covering the series uh, with, with Jeff Siegel coming on to break down the X's and O's of Game 1. That should be a great pod uh, coming to you Wednesday morning, but check those out there. Find Lockdown Cavs on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs, and find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWM Rights. Yep, and also subscribe, rate, review to all the Lockdown Podcast Network shows. It's very helpful. It's lovely of you to do. Uh, and also, yeah, I'll have a podcast probably from the arena after Game 1 tomorrow night, so stay tuned for that. I'll try to wrangle up a guest. Um, usually it's just like who's done writing soon. <laughs> done writing I, first, and I, I just kind of bring I, it I on. I love guilting people in at games. Oh, it's, it's, it's my it's favorite. Great, it's like, yeah. so, uh, so, hey, do you want to spend like 40 <laughs> minutes of your time for no money just talking to me? Thanks. <laughs> uh, all right, man. This was good. Uh, enjoy the series, and we'll talk soon. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.